Hey everyone and welcome back to Pucks and Pages. My name is Steven, that is my lovely wife, as always, Liberty. We're a married couple with different interests and we try to bring each other into our hobbies, kicking and screaming the whole way by discussing the latest news in both books and sports. I feel like it was a particularly like rough week for you because I invaded the book episode a little bit with my choice. You did, and then on top of that, real life just kicked me in the teeth. So, it's been a week. But we're here for you. Started off with your favorite NHL to make you feel a little better? I don't think anything's going to make me feel better this week, but let's start with the NHL. I don't have any COVID updates for this one, but I know there are a few player health things going on. Yeah, definitely some things going on in the player health world. Uh, We'll start it off with Mike Hoffman. He's expected to miss at least the first week of the season because of a lower body injury that occurred before coming to the Canadiens. I almost called it spring training because I'm a baseball person. Their training camp. So Also, it's not spring. I I know. Thank God. I hate spring. It's a habit of mine, thanks to all the sports that I follow. We also have some surgeries that have been happening over the past week or so. Kevin Hayes had abdominal surgery on Tuesday, September 21st. The timeline for his return is six to eight weeks for recovery. It's just one of those wait and see. It's going to cause him to miss the Philadelphia Flyers training camp and the start of the NHL season. I feel like Kevin Hayes has already had enough on his plate like over the last month. You know, Because his... he's with the Flyers. Well, no, his brother died. But oh, okay. Yeah, we talked about it on this podcast, if I'm you remember sure we correctly. Have. My mind is a sieve. I'm yeah. sorry. So it's like, oh, yeah, you just had this horrible thing happen. Well, congratulations, abdominal surgery. Like, that does, ugh. Life is also hitting him in the face. Yeah. We also have a player from my team, Evgeny Malkin, who will be out for at least the first two months of the regular season for the Pittsburgh Penguins while he recovers from knee surgery. I had thought he was going to have surgery earlier because he missed portions of the end of the season and playoffs. He had attempted to come back after the end of the season during playoffs, and then that didn't go well. But he had surgery on June 4th, which I feel like was kind of late. Yeah. And it was to repair an injury that he sustained last season during a game against the Boston Bruins. But he's still going to be out for a minute, which kind of sucks. Yeah. We're going to be without him and Crosby to start this season. Here's to hoping for a win with the Blackhawks when we come to visit them in Pittsburgh. But here's the thing. It's almost like we play better when players are missing because everyone realizes they need to keep their stuff together because they don't have the usuals to fall back on. Yeah, that is kind of the way your team has always played. The next man up mentality has never been a tough thing for the Penguins to handle. So, Like the 2016 Stanley Cup championship that we won. That season, we were missing so many players like up and down, just all over the place, coming on and off IR, just because we're able to break so many players and still do well. Yeah, but in the past, when you've been down both your captain and Malkin, usually speaking, you guys don't play as well as you normally do. So, albeit, who would expect you to when you lose two players that are both going to be Hall of Famers? Like, there's no if, ands, or buts. Well, they're key components for us. So, as long as we don't, like, immediately lose every single game, I think we'll be fine. Yeah. And this next one is kind of a combination of player health and other news because Jack Eichel is having this whole drama right now in Buffalo. He had been placed on IR with a neck injury after he failed his physical due to a herniated disc in his neck. 
But then he had a disagreement with the team about how to treat it. Basically, the team doesn't want to do the surgery that Eichel wants to have because it's not anything they've had done to an NHL player and then come back and play following. And so they're like, this is kind of still experimental when it comes to sports medicine. We don't want to do it. And he has this one surgery he wants to do to fix it instead. But like there are multiple surgery options. They're just disagreeing about which one to do. Right. And like there's a certain level of he should be able to decide what he does with his own body. I get he's an athlete and he's like property of, but like it's not quite to the same extent of like the military would be per se. Like they they still are normal human beings first and foremost. And if like long term this is better for him, I feel like he should have a choice as to what surgery he has. But here's the thing. Athletes and like you said, military members are the types of people who don't necessarily get as much body autonomy as you would expect because they are, quote, property of that team or the military or whatever. And so you just have to go with what they say to do. And like, he does have a little more freedom than the military because he can argue that and try to have a different outcome. Whereas in the military, you just have to do what they say. Right. But my thing is, it's going to belabor the whole situation because he's not going to get surgery as soon as he should have. Realistically, he should have had it before playoffs even started. Well, it's been going back and forth since then, so... In reality, they're not going to have what used to be their captain for... The season. The The whole whole season, season, pretty much. So I feel like belaboring the point is just unnecessary. You should do what they tell you to do and... If it has to be repaired again later on, do the other one, but I don't know. My understanding of it is you do one or the other. So, like, the fusion, you can continue to have that done over and over, which is what the team wants. Because, obviously, they're like, he's an asset to our organization. We want him back. We don't want him to have the risk of not coming back. Right. But the other surgery is less damaging, like, long-term. So for, like, him as a human being, obviously he doesn't want to be in pain long-term, and it makes sense to do that surgery. So, like, I get where he's coming from. I get where the team's coming from. Business, personal. Like, they're never going to be perfect for one another. That's just the way things go, sadly. But there is still a chance that he has this different surgery that the team doesn't want him to have, and he never comes back in place. Right, which is a chance, and And, then that would be him risking his career at that point. Right, right. But like I said, he used to be the captain for the team, but he has recently been stripped of his captaincy, and GM Kevin Adams has said that the Sabres will not name a captain this season, so I think they're just going to have alternates instead. I don't understand what that's really going to do but demoralize the team yeah I don't know I mean I can understand like he's not going to play most likely this whole season so obviously you don't give him the captaincy right but I feel like you should just name one of your other guys as captain not just do alternates right right and there weren't a lot of trades this week I think that pretty much wraps up player health if I'm correct yeah okay So there weren't a whole lot of trades that I was able to find anyways. I found one between the Senators and the St. Louis Blues. Uh, The Senators traded forward Logan Brown in a conditional fourth round pick in the 2022 NHL draft to the St. Louis Blues for forward Zach Sanford. 
The Blues will only receive the pick if Brown plays in at least 30 games this season for the team. So actively, he has a two-way contract between the AHL and the NHL. But the move predominantly freed up space for the Blues, uh, about $750,000 under cap, so they can maybe make one more move for another player, possibly. I really don't expect a lot of trades to be happening right before the season starts, but we do have a lot of signings, I feel like, for the NHL this week. Right. There definitely were a lot of signings this week going on. No trades, hardly at all. But the St. Louis Blues signed general manager Doug Armstrong to a five-year extension. Uh, He still actively had one year on his contract, so this season basically. So he's going to be around for another six seasons. We also had Nolan Patrick, who has signed a two-year contract with the Vegas Golden Knights. The contract has an AAV of $1.2 million and a total of $2.4 million. He was a restricted free agent following a trade from the Philadelphia Flyers to the Nashville Predators on July 17th and then traded again to the Golden Knights for forward Cody Glass. And something I didn't know was that he didn't play in the 2019-2020 season because of a migraine disorder, which I totally didn't know was a thing. I don't know how anyone can play any sport that frequently with a migraine disorder, but like, good on him. Well, he was playing for the Flyers, so maybe that had something to do with it. It caused the headaches. I'm not surprised. Yeah. Also this week, Elvis Merzlikin. I knew it was Merzlikins. <laughs> Elvis Merzlikins has signed a five-year, $27 million contract extension with the Columbus Blue Jackets, uh, which begins next season. It has an AAV of $5.4 million a year. You know, I think his name is easy to say when you don't have to look at it. Yeah. If you just remember what the name is and say it. Right. We also had another signing out in the West. Calvin Peterson signed a three-year, $15 million contract extension with the LA Kings. The contract has an AAV of $5 million. He is currently in the final season of a three-year contract that he signed in July of 2019. We also had Robert Thomas agree to a two-year, $5.6 million contract with the St. Louis Blues. That carries an AAV of $2.8 million. He was actively a restricted free agent, so had yeah. to sign something somewhere. Right. And this one I'm probably going to say wrong, so just be prepared for an interruption right in the middle of me saying this. Rasmus Dahlin yeah, close enough. has agreed to a three-year $18 million contract with the Buffalo Sabres. The contract has an AAV of $6 million because basic math. And then kind of the biggest announcement of the weekend – I think a lot of people were waiting because he came out and stated that he wasn't going to go play in Russia this year and he was trying to get a deal done with the Wild. Kirill Kaprizov signed a five-year, $45 million contract with the Minnesota Wild. It has an AAV of $9 million. Which is more than some of these guys are making in two years. Right. The crazy thing for this is it's the largest contract dollars-wise per year that the Wild have done in about the, well, probably the team's history realistically. I think it's The second highest, though, if I remember correctly, behind Parise's old contract. What do they do with all the extra cap space, then? They have to have extra space if they're not making these giant contracts like everyone else's. I I couldn't tell you. I know that the Wild have always been friendly to having a little bit of cap space, so... Budget conscious. Yeah. Yeah. For situations like this, clearly. Right. Travis Zajac? Mm Mm-hmm. Retired from the NHL on Monday, September 20th, after signing a one-day contract with the New Jersey Devils. He will remain with the team in an on- and off-ice player development and consulting role. 
So he still has a job, technically. You're seeing that more and more commonly, like the player development rules kind of opening up to players that are retiring. Like, right, right. Literally, well, the Blues traded for Brodeur for like 10 games in order to sign him as a goalie coach. Right. So. I mean, for the most part, you're usually doing these sorts of jobs after the fact with teams you've already been a part of for the most part. So it's like the guys already know you and who you are as a person. So I feel like you already have some level of respect. Well, and they know like your work ethic and your knowledge of the game and all these things that actually matter in rules like that. So it's definitely kind of a no-brainer. This last piece of NHL news is kind of dramatic, but we're going to try to not focus on the drama too much. The NHL announced on Wednesday, September 22nd, that it has concluded its investigation of allegations that San Jose Sharks forward Evander Kane gambled on league games. They have found no evidence to support those allegations or allegations that Mr. Kane made any effort to negatively impact his own club's games. The extensive investigation of the allegations was conducted by Patterson Belknap Webb and Tyler LLP in conjunction with the NHL security following social media posts by Kane's estranged wife, Deanna. It should also be noted that she refused to participate in the investigation, which I think is really telling because it's like, you can say whatever you want on social media, but like you really can't or shouldn't lie to people doing the investigation. Yeah, I... It's just convenient that over the last two seasons where she's making these accusations that Evander Kane's performances have been less than all the previous years of his career. So it's like... I mean, I would argue that there are multiple factors into someone having not He as could great just be having season. off seasons, but it's just... Like, when he came over to the Sharks, he was a top-line guy, and he's still placed on the top line, God knows what reasons, because he's not putting up points. So it's just... I don't know. It's a weird situation. There are some other things that have come to light following this investigation, but we're not going into that because nothing's been proven or really stated what in particular is being investigated. Just like vaguely these two things might become things in the future. Yeah, because the NHL opened a new investigation after they closed this one. But again, there's like literally no information because it just opened. Right. I think Thursday or Friday or something like that. So like a day after this. So I'm sure we'll have more to discuss with that in the future. But for now, just this one's done and we'll see what happens. Round two. In NFL news, we did have quite a bit of player health news. Uh, we'll start it off with the helmet guy, your favorite guy in the whole wide world. Tampa Bay Buccaneers wide receiver Antonio Brown is still on COVID-19 protocol and will miss Sunday's game against the Rams. So he's missed a whole week before this, and he's in week two actively. So he'll miss today's games due to COVID-19 positive test. COVID takes a while to get over. Yeah. But also this week, Eagles defensive end Brandon Graham is going to be out for the remainder of the season with a ruptured Achilles. He was injured during last Sunday's game against the 49ers. Again, with rupturing your freaking Achilles. Stop it. Seems to be a common thing amongst football players. Like last week we had like three or four of them, didn't we? Right. Also with the Eagles, tight end Zach Ertz tested positive for COVID and was placed on the reserve slash COVID list. He is vaccinated, so despite the positive test, he could still play on Monday against the Cowboys. Per NFL protocols, vaccinated players need two negative tests at least 24 hours apart and zero symptoms in order to return. Interesting. I didn't know that that was one of the rules. Apparently. 
Steelers linebacker T.J. Watt suffered a groin injury during the loss to the Raiders. He will miss the upcoming game against the Bengals, but is expected to be back the week after that. I was really hoping that he wasn't, like, seriously hurt because, like, he just got that, like, the highest paid defensive contract. Right. And so, like, I was like, man, that's really poor timing. Luckily, it seems like he's only going to miss about a week, which isn't too bad. The Browns have placed wide receiver Jarvis Landry on the injured reserve list. He will be out for at least three weeks following a knee injury during the game against Houston. For me, I just don't understand why someone is like three weeks for a knee injury. But maybe it's not that bad. Clearly it's not because otherwise we hopefully have a little bit longer time, especially with football because it's being a little more contact sport just like hockey, like knee injuries are taken more seriously. Right. Broncos defensive end Bradley Chubb is set to undergo surgery after he re-injured his ankle in the game against the Jaguars. He has hopes to return this season, but it's really going to depend on how the surgery goes. He said that he's been dealing with a bone spur in his ankle, and the procedure is to basically clean that up. Gotcha. And the one that broke my general manager's heart, uh, Dolphins quarterback Tua Tag... I knew I was going to screw this up. Tago Veloa? Yes. You hey. know that. Uh, has fractured his ribs. He's ruled out for week three against the Vegas Raiders. And Coach Brian Flores says Tua is day-to-day. So we'll see how he is. But like, I feel like fractured ribs also a thing in football that should maybe be taken seriously. Well, it's always going to hurt. Whether you're standing, sitting, walking, running. Throwing, because he's a quarterback. Or, all the things. you know, just breathing. Yeah. So I feel like day-to-day is, like, optimistic. Yeah. The Carolina Panthers' first-round pick, J.C. Horn, is likely to be out two to three months with a broken foot, though it has been confirmed that he's broken three different bones in his foot. So even that timeline is also really optimistic. He injured his foot during the third quarter of Carolina's Thursday night game against the Houston Texans. And to top it all off, Carolina wasn't done injuring players in that game as well. The Carolina Panthers running back Christian McCaffrey is also expected to miss a few weeks with a hamstring strain. The team is currently planning to put him on IR, so we'll see what comes of that down the road. Right, right. And it looks like you found way more Major League Baseball news than me. I'm not surprised. I hardly ever find anything. Maybe I don't ever want to find anything. Well, like, you're really good at finding injuries for the MLB, which I am not so much. But, like, I'm good at finding, like, statistically cool things to talk about. So, I don't know. I've got a few of those in there as well. But first, we'll start with player health. Matthew Boyd is set to undergo surgery this week in order to repair the flexor tendon in his left elbow. There has been no discussion of a timetable for his return, but pitchers who have undergone flexor tendon surgery have had a widely varying timetable before returning, so they just don't want to speculate. According to the article I read, the typical timetable is around six to nine months, so Roughly when the season, season starts, yeah. Depending on how quickly it goes. And then the San Diego Padres catcher, Austin Nola, is set to undergo surgery to address a sprained thumb that he sustained in a collision at home plate with Giants first baseman Brandon Belt. He will be out for the season, but is set to have a relatively normal offseason after a few weeks of recovery. The Padres expect him to be ready in time for spring training. 
it's a pretty common injury amongst catchers just because of being hit at home plate. Like, even as a kid, I did that a couple times, so... I'm not shocked to hear something like that happen, but right. it's always a bummer to lose your star catcher at the end of the season. I feel like something like that is more likely to happen at home plate than any of the others because like no one wants you to make a homer, but you definitely want to get a home run. And so like collision. I'm I'm really confused. Well, like you With have a home the, run you if have, you hit I don't mean home run. I mean, no one wants you to get a run. Got no it. one wants you to make it to, <laughs> to home plate. score a run, yes. Uh, so, like, you have the catcher, yeah. and then you have the person running in, and then you have whoever is going to try to help assist the catcher to get this guy out. So yeah. you're more likely to have a convergence of a lot of people at home plate. Right. Yeah, you don't have the tendency to see first baseman blocking out the bag as somebody's running down the line. But, like, with full catcher's gear, yes, you're a little more willing to sacrifice yourself in front of somebody that's running right at you. But there was one signing that I found, which wasn't really that over-the-top exciting, but uh, the Cincinnati Reds signed their manager, David Bell, to a two-year contract extension. He got the team to the playoffs for, like, the first time in 15 years, about two years ago, so before the world shut down due to COVID. So they're basically like, well, he's doing okay. You know, let's give him a chance for another two years and see what he can do, so... Good for him. Then we had some playoffs. Uh, Some division titles were clinched this week. So in the AL East division, the Tampa Bay Devil Rays clinched their second straight division title. Uh, And then the Chicago White Sox clinched the AL Central division title for the first time since 2008. Nice. And as you know, that makes me a very happy camper. I feel like the only reason you added a section about the playoffs was so you could talk about this for your team. Quite possibly. Not possibly. That's exactly what happened. Uh, There were two other teams that clinched a playoff spot, but they're not the titles yet because, like, the NL... More games have to happen before that can be clinched. The NL West is really, really tight at the top of the pack, as are, like, the NL Central right now. Like, we'll talk a little bit about it in a second, but the Cardinals are really trying to catch the Brewers right now on top of the title race, so... They're only two games back now, and there's only seven games left for both teams, so it's like... It could happen. It really absolutely could happen. Three of the games are against each other, which is going to be even more exciting. Probably the deciding factor, if we're being honest. Yeah, if you win that series, you're probably going to win it. But in other news, uh, Salvador Perez breaks the single-season home run record for a catcher held previously by Johnny Bench since 1970. So that's... A cool record to now have as your own, albeit he's a Kansas City Royals player, so I really don't like to hype them up that much. But Salvador Perez has always been a really quality baseball player, so good to see him earn like a record for himself. Actively, he has 46 home runs. Obviously, the record was 45. He still has six games left, so he'll probably put a couple more up there on top of that to like extend the record a little bit. So And that's it? Then he's done? Well, for the season, yes. Because the Royals aren't in the playoffs. To me, it just sounded like someone was going to kill him at the end of that final game. Yeah, they're going to off him immediately. You beat the record, you must die. No, that's not how that works. For all I know, that is how that works. Also this week, Adam Wainwright reached the 2,000 career strikeout threshold. So he's the second pitcher in Cardinals history to reach this feat. So he's thrown over 2,000 strikeouts. I feel like his shoulder has to be jacked. Like jacked as in like strong or jacked and like messed up? Messed up. Like, we need a little clarification. It probably was a pretty jacked shoulder at one point in time, like, muscle-wise, but he's getting up there in age. I think he's in his 40s now, so not too much longer in the baseball world. Yeah. 
And then speaking of the West, this is kind of what's crazy to me that the West is still so close. But the San Francisco Giants reached the 100 win mark for the season. It's the first time they've done this since 2003. As an organization, they've only done it eight times and they've been around since like the 40s. So like it's a pretty impressive feat. Obviously, there being 162 games in a season. I was about to ask that question. They have a pretty good record, as it were. Almost two-thirds of the games. Yeah. And then talking about the NL Central and how this is close, the St. Louis Cardinals beat the Cubs for their 15th straight victory. That's a franchise record. They've never had 15 straight wins ever. Nice. So. But we don't like them. But we also don't like the Cubs. Yeah. Who are you rooting for? I don't know. I I like the intensity of how close a lot of these races are at the end of the season because last year's baseball season was kind of meh. So, like, it's... I think every baseball season is kind of meh. Well, that's a personal opinion, I guess. In this instance, it's just nice to see the competitiveness exist again is really what I'm looking forward to and enjoying. The only other piece of MLB news I bring to the table is that... (laughs) Ryan Borucki has been suspended for three games and fined an undisclosed amount for intentionally hitting Kevin Kiermeyer on Wednesday. He is appealing the decision, so he's not going to end up missing anything right now until the appeal is completed, and if he still has to be suspended for those games, then he'll miss those games. It's pretty blatant that he hit him on purpose. Well, he appealed it anyway. So we'll see. But also manager Charlie Montoyo has also been suspended one game, which is just an automatic thing for managers in this situation. So he knew it was coming as soon as this guy got kicked out of the game. Yeah. So if you don't know the story as to why he hit him with the pitch, Kiermaier the other night, the day before this happened, slid into the catcher at home plate and the catcher dropped the pitch calls for which batters like just like a cheat sheet basically they could just flip open and like they adjust the field and all that kind of stuff like the cheat sheet basically Kiermaier picked it up and took it back to his own dugout yikes and that's not very sportsmanlike. it's not not that I think that's like dirty or anything but I just think that's like poor sportsmanship well, if, you, if you leave it on the field is it all bad like the player left it there and Kiermaier picked it up so it is a gray sort of situation you can't exactly say good or bad but at the same time like that's not good sportsmanship well the the sports peoples of the world were basically like if you picked it up you can't say you didn't use it like right right you know like you can't say that you're not gonna just then use it that or not use it at that point because he came out and was like well, we didn't use it. It's like, oh, okay, sure. Okay, but how did the game go after this happened? They lost the game, but still, like... Cheating and you still lose a game. It's not even worth cheating at that point. Right. So it was just ugly all around, and the retaliation was probably not necessary, but at the same time, it's just like, maybe he won't do it next time. Mm. It's not like they hit him in the head or anything, so, like, it could be worse. It seems like we have a lot of COVID news coming out of the NBA, so we're going to start there just to get it over with. So the big thing this week is the NBA announced that they have 90% of players are completely fully vaccinated. Their last announcement was about two weeks ago. We talked about it then, and they were at the 85% threshold. What's crazy about it is the NBA is not requiring players to be vaccinated in order to compete this year. So, like... They're not people forcing it, but, smart. but people are being smart and doing it themselves. So, Do you think teams are trying to enforce it? Like, just 
I think there's certain organizations that are absolutely pressuring the players to do it and others that aren't. But it seems like as a whole, if you're not vaccinated, a lot of players aren't being invited to preseason camp because of it. Oh, okay. So I would say, yes, the teams are definitely pressuring the players to be vaccinated. So we'll see what ends up happening, I guess. But on positive news, even more so than that, the New York Knicks GM announced that all of their players are actively fully vaccinated and that their coaching staff is missing uno mas, one more to get fully vaccinated. He started the process. He's just waiting on his time for his second shot. So hooray for the Knicks or the Knickerbockers, depending on what you want to call them. I do not want to call them that. Yeah. We also had the Oklahoma City Thunder announce that their COVID requirements for fans will include proof of COVID-19 vaccination or a negative COVID test. The policy will be in effect for the first 12 games of the preseason and continuing into the start of the regular season. The team also strongly recommends that fans wear masks while attending games. They're not doing any sort of like rule about you can only take it off to eat or whatever. So it's Oklahoma. It's about what you expect coming out of Oklahoma. I'm actually surprised they won negative test or vaccination cards to go in. I'm a little shocked as well, but I think that has more to do with the NBA's requirements than the Probably. teams. But it's not the state. I can guarantee that. Yeah. Coming from an Oklahoma person, I can say that. Also coming from a person that's driven through Oklahoma multiple times this year and nobody's been wearing masks. No so. one. No one. I am the freak of nature at the gas station when I'm like wearing my mask and wiping down the handle and wiping down the screen and like all this stuff. And everyone just looks at me like I'm some crazy lady. Yeah. And like, I've seen my family multiple times since COVID started and there's never been a situation where I felt like I was comfortable and normal wearing a mask in Oklahoma. Yeah. So like it is what it is. It's definitely not the state enforcing this We also had TD Garden set a requirement of vaccination or negative COVID test in order for fans to attend the games there. The new health and safety requirements for the Boston venue go into effect on September 30th. And the rules apply for players, refs, coaches, musicians, vendors, ushers, and anyone else entering the arena. The only exception here is going to be for people under the age of 12 not having to show proof of vaccination or negative COVID test, but they will still be required to wear a mask. It's pretty much a citywide mandate that everyone's going to have to wear a mask for indoor events. And that wraps up the long COVID news. (laughs) Yeah. So we'll talk about the very minimal injuries, I guess, because there was really only one that happened this week. Yep. Uh, Chicago Bulls forward Patrick Williams was injured during an individual workout on September 15th. He's expected to miss four to six weeks because of the injury. And the article I read about this, they didn't specify what the injury is, but four to six weeks, pretty standard, I would think, for most injuries. Yeah. And we also had a retirement this past week. J.J. Redick announced his retirement from the NBA. He appeared in 940 games with six teams in his NBA career. He was drafted at number 11 in the 2006 draft. His last season was spent with the New Orleans Pelicans and the Dallas Mavericks. It's kind of sad to see him go. I was kind of hoping he'd play another year because like, he was a good addition for the Mavericks at the end of the year. But again, the Mavericks don't want to continue to build around Luka Doncic. So go figure. Players are going to just start to leave and retire when they're up there in age as well. So 
Why do they not want to build around that guy? Your question is a great one that everyone asks. Okay, so it's not like he's not playing well? Who, Luca? Yes. Uh, he was only up for MVP last season, but he's surrounded by players that really don't build around him. Like, so they're it's not... GMs being stupid. It's owners mostly being stupid, not GMs necessarily. GMs and owners being stupid. Yeah. But speaking of owners being stupid, <laughs> the NBA fined Golden State Warriors owner Joe Lacob $50,000 for violating the league's anti-tampering rule with comments he made about Philadelphia 76ers guard Ben Simmons. I tried to find what he said. and I couldn't, I couldn't find what he said. I couldn't either. I know that he tweeted out that he had no interest in getting Ben Simmons to come play for the 76ers, so like... He I, said something along the lines of he wouldn't work in our organization the way that it is now. Yeah. Like, the way they've built their team and what they've built their team to play like. Just to be honest, Ben Simmons doesn't really fit anybody's organization right now. He's had two horrible seasons back-to-back. He's hit a total of like, f- under five three-pointers. I could get five three-pointers. Well, I don't know at the NBA level, but... Not, not at the NBA level. I just mean, like, out of the park by myself. Yeah. I could do it. Yeah. But for two straight years, to only have, like, under five three-pointers made, it's like, come on, man. You're in the NBA, bro. Like, that's part of it now. I, I don't get how that is anti-tampering rule-breaking. Well, again, you don't know what else he said, I guess. Right. So and The NBA likes to hand out fines, but they don't just hand them out for no reason. So I'm sure there was... An actual reason that it was given out. In the world of soccer, I only have one piece of news coming out of the MLS, and it is here in Dallas. The team here, FC Dallas, fired their coach, Luchi Gonzalez, on Sunday, September 19th, and replaced him with an interim coach named Marco Ferruzzi, the club's director of soccer operations. So that was his job prior FC Dallas has won only six of its 26 games of this season with nine draws and 11 losses. The club has also relieved assistant coach Mikey Veras of his duties. So I guess they're going to have to restructure or something. So what I'm hearing is when they reached out to me to continue my tickets this season, it was a good decision not to use it this year. Not if you wanted to root for the home team. Right. In... International soccer, obviously, we're back to individual country-based leagues going again. So Premier League and Bundesliga are in full swing. It was a rough game for you guys yesterday to lose to a team that was near the bottom of the table, points-wise. Like, they picked up three points with their win, so they were in 15th place to start the day yesterday, and they've moved up to the 11th, and as well has dropped you guys down out of the top three into the fourth spot in the Bundesliga, so... Hopefully next week you have a little better go. Right. It was it's a weird game, and honestly, it was weird that Modern Gladbach was as far down the table as they are because normally they're a top five team. So I don't want to take out a consideration that maybe they just were off at the beginning of the season and they just flipped a switch and played well against you guys. You know, there's every possibility in that sense. But to give you the quick rundown of the top grouping in the Bundesliga, we have Bayern Munich with 16 points in first place. They've won five of their last five. You have Bayer Leverkusen in second place with 13 points. They've won four of their last five. You have VFL Wolfsburg in third place, 13 points. They have one loss, one draw, and three wins. And then you have Dortmund in fourth place with 12 points with two losses and three wins in their last five. 
And then you have Mons rounding up the fifth place location on the table. And they have 10 points, two losses, a draw, and two wins. The crazy thing for me still is that Modern Gladbach and Red Bull Leipzig are so far down on the table. Leipzig in 10th, Modern Gladbach moved up to 11th from 15th. So good move for them. Red Bull Leipzig is still just on the struggle bus, it seems. So they did win their last game. So maybe they'll turn things around and the Bundesliga will get competitive again. But until then, it just looks like it's kind of a weird year so far. And the Premier League top group, Shifted a lot this week as well. Liverpool drew and somehow still moved up into first place because every other team struggled uh, that was up there ahead of them. So Chelsea and Manchester United both lost their last game, dropping them down uh, to third and fourth place. Manchester City won, moving them up from fourth to second. And Liverpool, with the draw, somehow moves from second to first. So it's just a mess at the top of both tables, it seems, right now. It was an off week, and it led to having an off table yeah. for both. But Brentford continues to do good things in the Premier League, and I love to talk about them. I kind of want to root for them, but not when they're playing my team. Right. They're in 10th place right now. That's not bad. For a team that came up last season, and honestly, they don't really have a roster that would argue 10th place. So They just want it. Like, this is something we discuss anytime playoffs happen. It's hungry. They're hungry. If you have a team that's more hungry than the other one, most of the time, that team's going to get it. They scored three goals against Liverpool to draw out yesterday. That's nuts. I mean, I don't like Liverpool in general, so I'm glad that happened. Right. And then the best news of the week, Newcastle's out of relegation by one spot. But for how long? We are one point up on the relegation zone. For how long? We will see, hopefully for more than a week. Yeah. (laughs) Because it's a rough year and clearly ownership doesn't care. They're not spending any money on our roster. So it's like just fun watching our team just flail and just hope to stay up. Does your team get paid in like personal pan pizzas or something? Pretty much. At like this point, your your owner just seems horrible. He's he's ready to sell the team, and I guess to whoever buys it, maybe you'll get a better deal because they might not be in the Premier League by the time you purchase them. Oh no, let's not so, hope for that. Right, but other than that, I think that pretty much wraps up the sports news. Short and sweet this week, which is good because, like I said, life kicked me in the teeth this week. Yeah, and I think we start preseason hockey in like two weeks, so that's exciting. Maybe a week? This week. This week. Oh, Pre- God. Preseason hockey is this week. I'm pretty sure the first games. Well, that's exciting. I'm ready to have hockey back in my life. I'm ready to see hockey with my eyeballs. Yeah. In person. Yeah. Either, either way, guys, we really appreciate the time and the listen. Make sure you stay in contact with us on all of our social media. It will be linked in the show notes. And we'll see you guys on Thursday for the book episode. Bye, guys. Bye.